Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the ninth of our weekly podcast of practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 27th of May. So we're delighted that we've got Cal Kusak and Lisa Harding, our Directors of Primary Care, to talk to you today and Don Chalcroft who's fantastically backing everybody up. So um, Carol, if I just hand over to you, that would be great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Louise. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Uh, well done for joining in. I know it's half term and I know the weather's hot and I think we'd all rather be outside, but there you go. Won't take long. Um, so first thing to say, national picture. I'm sure you're getting this off the news, but it's always as well that we, we do um, have daily sit reps with various people. And we can tell you that the reproductive number, the R number is still staying just under one, um, down at 0.7 in some areas and, and not 0.9 in others. Um, one is the magic number, as you probably all realise. Um, whilst it stays there, then hopefully we can start to resume some sort of normality, although what that actually means, I don't know, I've ever known what normal is, but anyway, in terms of work, um, we are looking now and the BMA and NHS England are looking now for practices to start to catch up on some of the work that hasn't been done over the last two, three months. Now, that's not to say that you're going to have to do nine months work, um, uh, sorry, 12 months work in nine months. We still don't know the details, so so we're not going to get overly excited about this and we're just going to keep it calm. But basically, as you know, IMS and VACs never stopped. I think there's been a little bit of confusion around that. Certainly childhood IMS should never have stopped because there was a concern that, they, that we'd end up with a, a, an epidemic of MMR or whatever if we didn't continue so that's never stopped so that has to continue what they're now looking at is to say for you for your practice for your population and maybe even across your PCN what is clinically necessary what is relevant what is appropriate that you can do and do it safely and safely means in terms of your staff first and foremost and then of course your patients so as you're probably aware, we're looking at reinstating some of the long term reviews, medication reviews. And I think it's been proved over the last two to three months that a lot of that can still be done remotely. It isn't always a case of needing face to face. I mean, Nigel gave us an example this morning on our team meeting about doing an asthma review over video. He could do that. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be face to face. So it's a case now of saying, what can we reintroduce and how should we reintroduce it in the best possible way? One of the things that is is um, that they are very keen to reintroduce now, of course, are the screening programmes and in particular cervical screening, which is the one um, that, that you as practices get more involved with than, than bowel or anything like that. So they want to reintroduce that. And the FRSH, the Faculty of Sexual and Reproduction, uh, Reproductive Healthcare, has issued some guidance um, um, sexual health guidance for reintroducing spheres, uh, smears and also for coils, um, IUCDs and things like that. So that is definitely worth having a look at. And Dawn, have we got a link to that, um, the FRSH document? I have got a link. It's not on the website yet, but it, we can certainly put it in the FAQs. Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea because I know I know we've issued a document um, that, that was... Um, 
firstly written by a GP in Wiltshire, which is a very straightforward A4 sheet of paper about cervical screening, about doffing, donning, about how the best way to get through that work, about the cleaning, etc., which Helena Irvin, our nurse advisors, had a look at, put a few more links to it, and probably the FRSH links, probably part of that. So there is, there is guidance coming out all of the time, and I know you're overloaded with guidance uh, and everything, but we're trying to keep it to the basic minimum of what you might need. And you'll only need it if you think, at some point you can reintroduce those services. Um, we had a, a, a query earlier about the letter um, for children returning to school and returning safely. And we're aware that it's mainly parents asking for something from their GP to say, is it appropriate? Is it safe for my child to return to school? Now, you must know as well as I do and as well as the BMA does, there is absolutely no way that you have the capacity or your GPs have the capacity to actually make those decisions on an individual child basis. What we've done, and we've agreed this with the BMA and various other LMCs across the country, we have got a letter, it is on the website now, um, and it's for you to give parents that basically is saying, we're not doing this, I'm very sorry, we're not doing it. The decision about returning to school has got to be based on national guidance, has the child got a cough? Are they feeling unwell? Have they got underlying symptoms or, or any sort of conditions? And then discuss that with the school because also it depends how the school's going to react as well and how safe they're going to make it for the children. So it really is, I'm afraid, between the parents and the schools, you cannot act as any sort of intermediary. It, it, it would be wrong. Um, next thing I wanted to mention very briefly was about organ donation. Um, as you know, on the GMS1 forms, if you still use the GMS1 forms, or even if you don't and you use your own, it'll be on because you have to put the same information on even if you add to it, about um, uh, people donating their organs. Um, just to be clear now, you don't have to do anything with this. Um, but just be aware that um, as of, is it 1st of May, Dawn? No, 20th of May last week. 20, last week, okay. So as of 20th of May, we're all organ donors unless we have specifically opted out. Now, as you know, on the GMS1 form, if somebody put, yes, we want to opt in, there was a box on Open Exeter. You used to tick it or fill it in or whatever it was to say, yes, this patient has agreed to be an organ donor. You're not going to need to do that. Um, the paperwork hasn't actually caught up yet, unsurprisingly. So um, at the moment, it's still on Open Exeter. It's up to you whether you use it or not, because as I say, at the moment, we are all opted in unless we opt out. The opt out will be via the organ donation website. Again, not by you. You don't need to do anything, but it's just worth being aware of. And if you use your own GMS1 form or the template one that we have on our website, we're going to remove the organ donation bit and you can remove it as well. Uh, next thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, we've had a few queries um, and, and, and we've been quite frustrated that a little while ago PCSE removed our named contacts that we could go to. So when you had absolutely exhausted all the avenues, the portals and everybody else that you could think of, you would then come to us and we had an escalation route. 
that was taken away from us probably about six weeks or so ago, something like that, um, a really good timing. Um, so our engagement managers were taken away from us. We were given a comms lead, a communications lead from PCSE, but obviously that person became overwhelmed very, very quickly um, and, and can no longer really help very much. She will in certain circumstances, but it's difficult. We have been in contact with the GPC ever since the engagement managers were removed. And in fact, what's even worse is ours haven't just been removed, but bless them, neither of them have got jobs any longer. And um, there's been a whole restructure at PCSE. So even people that had started to understand where you're coming from, where we're coming from, are no longer working for PCSE. GPC just this morning have confirmed that PCSE has agreed to give us named contacts. We haven't got them yet, but we have been told we're getting them. So that's great. So you can continue to send in anything. Obviously, whenever you do, please send us the reference number to go with it, because unless we've got your CAS number, there's not a lot that when we escalate it, there's not a lot they can do because, as you imagine, it's a national thing and it uh, takes some, uh, you know, research. So if you've given us the CAS number, it's much easier to work with that. Um, oh, we would never get through this, would we, without using the acronym CQC. So this marvellous thing they're now calling the emergency support framework is up and running. And um, I mentioned it last week, but basically what they're saying is that they are going to be phoning practices and they're going to be asking a series of questions. Now, they have confirmed now this is all around COVID. I have sent back a question to say it might all, all be about COVID, but then when COVID is out of the way and we get back to normal inspections, how much of that information are you going to use to beta practice up with? Strangely, I haven't had a response to that yet, but we'll wait and see. So they're going to talk about safe care and treatment. They're going to talk about staffing arrangements, protection from abuse and assurance processes, monitoring and risk assessments. They're going to be asking you about your use of PPE, whether or not it was easy to get, whether or not, um, you know, you could, uh, whether you ever ran out. I've, I shouldn't be saying this probably, but I've got some doubts as to why that's a, an important question. The fact is, you know, if you were worried that you were going to run out and went through the normal channels, what was the reaction like? How, how well did they respond would be what I would be telling them rather than, yes, we ran out. But by the way, hey, we put our staff at risk by continuing the work. See where I'm coming from? I think we need to be just a little bit cautious. I know they're calling it a support framework. We haven't seen it in in place yet, so let's let's not be too um, too uh, uh, reassured that that's purely what it is. Um, they will be talking a bit about you know how you continued safeguarding, how you continued infection control, and that type of thing. So a lot of the stuff you've already been dealing with, but just basically um, pumped up if you like to deal with COVID. Um, it's not going to be rated. It won't affect any ratings. Um, and they say you'll get a letter afterwards to tell you um, what they found and, and whether it's going to be a summary of the discussion. I don't know. Um, you will be told in advance when your telephone call is going to be. They're saying it's only going to be for one hour. 
Um, you can negotiate that. You can say, I'm sorry, that date, that time isn't, um, uh, you know, useful for us because our registered manager is not going to be there. Our practice manager is not going to be there. How flexible they will be on this, I don't know. They say they will be, but, you know, we've seen CQC's interpretation of flexible. It's not quite the same as ours, but let's be positive. It may well be a helpful process. Um, I'm going to hand over to Lisa now because we've had some questions about the use of masks and um, in the surgery and at home, etc. So I'm going to hand over to Lisa to talk, talk you through that. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Carol. We just thought it might be worth mentioning. We had a query from a practice today uh, who have been asking all their patients who are attending the surgery to uh, wear face masks, which the practice has been providing. Um, and a patient attending with um, a young child refused to, to don a face mask. So they're really asking where they stood. Uh, so we discussed it as a team. Um, we think that it is reasonable to ask patients to wear face masks if you have adequate supplies. Ideally, you would, um, we know that our, one of our medical directors is a voluntary group that's providing the practice with homemade face masks. So that would be acceptable for patients to wear, particularly in the cold sites, uh, less so in the hot sites where the medical grades would be more appropriate. Um, you do obviously have a duty of care to your staff and to your other patients. So there is some evidence that there can be benefits of wearing face masks, but equally, you know, those benefits could extend to the to your patients and other members of staff. However, there's no man mandate. You cannot insist, particularly in cold sites, that patients wear masks. Um, you can only encourage them to do so. So we just wanted to give that a little mention. We'll see if that guidance changes. Yeah, I think one of the things we said was um, nothing can become mandatory unless it's in the um, operating procedure, unless it's actually published from NHS England under that um, and has been agreed with the BMA. Um, and so I think all the time, as you know, things are changing all the time. So if we do, as Lisa said, get any updates on that, we'll make sure you're aware of it as, as quickly as possible. Um, I think that's all we really wanted to cover, Louise, unless we've got questions that, um, that yeah. we haven't talked about yet. A few coming in. Um, so just looking at business as usual, can we start minor ops yet? Uh, yes, if, if, if you feel you can do it safely and if you feel that you can do it um, capacity wise um you know if it's if it's necessary if it's clinically appropriate and it's a priority um then yes you can start them i think it you know really what you've got to be looking at is where your priorities lie because we know everything's going to be a lot slower we know because of ppe and changing gloves and everything else um and also you know disinfecting rooms etc cetera, etc cetera. you've all come up with such fantastic innovative ways of managing this and i'm sure that will continue but yeah Go, go for your priorities first, but minor ops, yes, you can start it again if you feel that it's clinically justified and it's safe to do so. Okay, and also um, Quaff demands face-to-face -face annual reviews for dementia and RA. Um, what's the LMC view on that? Because obviously face-to-face -face annual reviews might be quite difficult. Can we use a, a video? Absolutely. Yes, you can use a video. That is classed as face-to-face. Um, so at this particular point in time, and we hope that the 
the GPC and the BMA will negotiate with NHS England, that that will continue to be the case even post-COVID. So yes, face-to-face via video is absolutely acceptable. And in fact, they've done quite a few pilots with them, people with learning um, difficulties, and they've done a lot of video um, face-to-face uh, assessments and um, reviews, and they've worked quite well. So, yeah, please. Okay, do that. brilliant. Moving on to um, CQC. So, are practices who've had the PIC calls also getting phone calls from CQC? Unfortunately, yes. Um, what they're saying is that obviously they're going to have this tool that we talked about last week with lots of data on. It is. It, with everything CQC, it's it's sort of fairly obvious that they're going to start looking at anybody that comes upon the toolkit as, as an area of concern. They're still looking at whistleblowers. They're still looking at um, if you are, have got requires improvement or in particularly, um, you know, uh, requires improvement and inadequate. So I suspect those practices will be the first. And certainly when I queried this with a couple of the regional inspectors, they also expected that to be the case but we haven't seen an actual program set out yet other than what's on their website the website does actually show you all the questions um so i've sent that to dawn this morning and we're going to put it on to, onto our website so it's easy for you to to get hold of but all the questions are there they're not they're what you would expect um as i say i'm just slightly skeptical about what they're looking for and that and and i i be a little bit cautious about how I answer some of it I've got to be honest but um it's supportive let's we'll keep reminding ourselves of that okay um and what consequences are there for the practice if you say no um for various reasons the registered manager isn't available so yeah what what can they do about it if you say no um, very little I'm afraid again I ran this by the GPC because I wanted I'll tell you what I wanted I wanted the GPC to tell every country in the whole practice to say no and then see what happened unfortunately it's in CQC's gift because they're a regulatory body to undertake their inspections in whichever way they believe is appropriate and because they have suspended face-to-face you know um, attending uh, inspections and because they've they've uh, sort of suspended quite a lot of their work they're doing this as an alternative but calling it supportive so I'm afraid um, according to GPC BMA there is no legal way that practices can say I'm not doing it the only thing you can hope for is that um, you that they, they will be flexible and they will sort of you know say okay we absolutely accept you can't do it in the next fortnight what about week three four five whatever in the end you're going to have to do it. Okay. Um, There's a comment. So Baines Practice Barriers have got a video meeting with their local CQC inspector next Tuesday, so they hope to learn more. Is that something that individual practice manager groups can sort of arrange with their CQC inspectors? Yeah, absolutely. They they are desperate to, to talk with practices. They really want that engagement. And in fact, the two regional inspectors offered either to come on here or to come to some um event or something of whatever nature that we're doing so um i only found that out on friday and i was on leave and i'm sorry but i'm going to talk to you about it louise so we may well i mean i I don't know if you want to put on the chat thing any of you if you think it would be helpful for them to talk through this um medium absolutely fine we'll do that or if you want a completely separate thing with them we can sort that out as well it's not a problem lovely thank you 
Okay, um, another comment. Government guidance is now for face coverings in public places where social distance cannot be maintained. Coming into the surgery, we know there won't be two metre distancing everywhere. So isn't sort of making it mandatory just following the government guidance? I think it's really sensible. I think yeah. it's government guidance. It's guidance, not mandatory. And I think the other thing is, you know, I, I would say even, you know, those masks that have, that have been imported, something's better than nothing. Um, and, and I mean, some of the homemade ones, you know, they're made out of socks, they're made out of old T-shirts, they're made out of onesies. We've seen some real good, innovative um, things. It's got to be. But actually, what, who is, it is protecting the clinician. It's not really protecting the patient because if they cough, the cough stays with them and not comes on the clinician. So I would have said something is better than nothing. Um, but as Lisa said, we can get, we can get some definitive um, around wh what works and what doesn't. Okay, and just a few comments on that previous um, CQC um, discussion that we had. Um, yes, there seems to be sort of a positive response to us having CQC in this forum, and they like them because we can control them and we can mute them when we've had enough, can't we? So that kind of seems to be the feedback. <laughs> so um, I think probably, yes, please, Carol, I think we'll probably... Uh, that wasn't my purpose for inviting them, but that's not that. <laughs> then we can, we can take that on the line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Um, so just a reminder, um, what are the requirements for providing 111 strokes um, CAS appointments daily, please? It's still one in 500 at the okay. moment, um, but we are aware, again, as things start to loosen up, it may well, we may well be going back. But at the moment, we haven't been told to revert to the one, one in 3,000. It's still one in 500, but it is a work list still. It isn't set appointments. A patient shouldn't be told you will be called by your practice at 8.30 tomorrow morning or whatever. It should be still going on to a work list practice can then retriage and decide the one thing that we have found a little bit of is that patients are actually going round in a circle so 111 are triaging and saying you need to see your gp they're going to they contact the gp and the gp saying oh no you need to go to 111 if somebody has been triaged already by 111 and has been found to need um, a consultation with a GP practice, whether it's um, video, whether it's phone, whether it's face to face. Once 111 have passed it to you, it's yours. You cannot pass it back. And we need to be really clear about that. OK, so just one more about something else. And then we'll go to some finance questions, please, Carol. So um, is there any updated guidance on what services to turn back on? Um, this PM thought there was some updated guidance being released last week, but nothing seems to have been seen. There is a there's a BMA document, but it's more about the principles. Um, it's it's you know I I don't think I don't know if you've seen anything really definitive, Lisa or Dawn, on on what to turn back on. I mean, screening certainly is the one that 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 people are getting. Um, you know, NHS England Public Health are really keen on um, medication reviews for people that should have had them. Um, either as part of COAF or otherwise, um, long-term condition reviews to make sure that people are still maintaining their, their wellness. Um, I haven't seen anything really definitive. I don't think there's a list anywhere that I'm aware of. It's a case of what's clinically justified, what's necessary, what's relevant, and have you got the capacity and you know, the PPE and everything else, the safety measures in place that you can turn it back on. If you haven't, you can't do it. 
Okay, a little bit on um, financial issues now, please, Carol. So any news on when we might get our COVID claims money? Um, so this is from a, a Swindon practice. Some um, practice completed their um, claim request at the beginning of April, but there still hasn't been any payment. Oh, that's ridiculous. Um, the, the CCGs have had the guidance. They have been told and um, what they can pay. I'll take, I will take that up with Swindon. I know some areas have been paid. I know there's still some bits of outstanding payment. I think there's there's been a little bit of a fight between the template that the BMA did over the Easter weekend, where they put in a little bit of extra money for the use of the premises, which wouldn't normally be open on that day and various things. And I think some CCGs are saying, well, that's not in the guidance we've been sent and we know it's not so there's bits and bobs but if if anybody has not had anything back um and and if that's the case in swindon i will i will take it up with swindon no problem lovely thanks carol um any news on the council services such as nhs health checks contraceptive services that funding does not seem to be protected for april and may is that correct Okay, so right at the beginning of this, Nigel wrote to all the local authorities to say that there was, you know, all the health service money was being protected, um, apart from the work that had to continue, like the childhood inns, um, and that we would expect local authorities to do the same. We've had good response from some local authorities. Some haven't responded at all, and we've just done another um, reminder to them. We haven't had a no from anybody. Um, I can tell you there's a definite yes from Dorset. Um, I can't remember where else we had definite yeses from. Probably there was one area of Hampshire, I think. Um, but we are we are following up on it. Our problem with it, as you can well imagine, is that the NHS does not actually um, have that funding. It is local authority funding. And they've always complained that they're underfunded. And so their budgets are being cut all over the place. So we are battling for it. We believe it should be paid. I think the argument was that a lot of the stuff's paid on activity. And we are saying, yes, but so is a lot of the health work paid on activity. You should be paying based on either the same quarter last year or, you know, um, a 12th per month for the whole year of last year or something. So we are, we're keeping on that one. We're not going to let it go. We'll keep going. But, you know, all I can say is we're doing our best. Okay. Um, PCN unspent funds and tax. So this is not a new one, is there? Has there been any clarity on it? Last we heard any money in a holding account was going to be taxed. Um, that really depends on how your PCN treats that money. If if it's in a holding account because it's actually designated to pay for something specific, um, like staff or a service or something that you you were putting in place but just couldn't because it ha you haven't been able to start it yet, that would then HMRC would talk would class that as already accrued and um, used for funding. If, however, it's, that's not the case um, and it's not designated for something and there's no contracts in place that you can prove it, then yes, the money will be taxed. And what a lot of, uh, a lot of PCNs have done is divvied the money up between their practices in the PCN and each practice has taken their share of that cost. People to talk about this, obviously, are your accountants. They yes. are far more um, up to date with this sort of stuff. But that's my basic understanding. 
Okay, um, still on finance, um, can we claim for having to make safe waiting rooms to meet distancing with screens, perspex screens, that sort of thing? I would have said yes, that should come under the COVID claims. The fact that you are being, uh, you're, you're being made to purchase things in order to maintain safety in your practices um, and to do things during the COVID pandemic, if it's COVID related and it's over and above what you would normally spend, yes, it's a COVID um, claim. Okay, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this this question quite correctly. Well, I'm not entirely sure what somebody's getting at, but they've, they've given this as, as anonymous, so I can't ask them. But they're saying it's getting busier with reduced lockdown for GPs. Would it be sufficient for HCAs to contact the shielding patients when we get notified of this? And then I think they've gone on to say currently the GPs have been contacting shielding patients to ensure there's a care package in place. So I think what they're saying is it was the GPs. Can the HCAs now take over that, that um, role? Yes, it can. It can be done by anybody that is trained to do it. So as long as they know what they what they have to ask and what their response needs to be and, and whether that's just passing it on to somebody. Actually, in a lot of areas, the social prescribers have been doing this work um, and receptionists who have been trained to care navigate. So actually, it's up to you in your practice. So long as the person knows what to ask, knows what to do with any responses, whether you've got a flowchart in place, whatever, then absolutely it can be done by anybody a final finance question carol any news on the new partner premium gosh you've been waiting for this for a bit oh i know (laughs) you know what you're asking me once a week i'm asking the gpc and nhs england almost every day um the only thing that they've clarified is somebody did try and say oh yeah i was thinking of joining the partnership a year ago but i haven't signed a contract yet therefore can i still get paid um there's a bit of debate going on around that, which may be why it's been delayed. It's there. It will be backdated to April. Um, that's all I can say. And I, like I say, I am bugging the hell out of them. So we will get we will get a response. Keep at it, Carol. Keep at it. I'm keeping at it. Just a comment from Swindon and um, back to the CCAS appointments. We've been told that to have both 111 and CCAS bookable appointments on the system. So one per 500 patients for CCAS and one per 3,000 for 111. Is that standard, Carol? No, it's not. And I know Swindon saying this. In fact, I think they're saying it all over BSW. Um, What's happened is we were given clarity, absolute clarity by uh, GPC. The the CCGs have not been given that same clarity by NHS England. And that's where we're getting the mix match. I pointed Swindon um, towards the NHS digital website because it was on there. But then Dawn tells me they've actually mixed theirs up as well and put two separate things. You know, for me, I think as we move back towards some sort of normality, if you can cope I mean, the one in 500 are hardly, we understand, correct me if I'm wrong, we, we understand they're hardly being used at all. And that's why 111 is saying, can we have more actual bookable appointments? Because when it goes through CCAS and goes onto the work list, um, we're told that if you get two in, in, a, in a week, it's quite a lot. I don't know how true that is. I haven't done any work on that. So we just have to... We have to try and be a bit pragmatic um, and I will again talk to BSW, but I do know they're, they're between a rock and a hard place because they haven't been given the guidance that we've been given. Um, just a comment 
follow that up, Carol. I thought they'd merged the two for BSW, 111 and CCAS. That's what they appeared to have done um, because they didn't realise that they were two completely separate things at first. And I, those of you who were on that um, IT webinar when I stuck my nose in and said this and then they went off and checked it and they did actually find that it is two separate things. Um, again, it's one of those things. If, if, you know, I would personally, I would say if they're happy to accept one in 3,000 um, uh, or one in 500 doesn't really matter, but it goes onto a work list, I'd accept that. But it's got to be whatever's available to your practice, what capacity you've got. If you've got problems, talk to your CCG. Most of them are being fairly pragmatic themselves at the moment, and they will, they will recognise if there's an issue. Okay. Um, Dawn, I think you've probably quite, um, already answered this query, but can you just say where, once again on our website where you'll find the letter for schools? Because I think that's, that's coming in a few times, please. Okay. It's, I am unmuted. Sorry. Yes. It's COVID-19 and the beginning of the page is templates. If you just go onto the home page and click on COVID-19, you'll find a list of all the various pages we have. And on that long list is one that says templates and it's on there as a template letter. Perfect. Thank you. Um, that's all the questions, Carol. OK, so um, can I just say um, thank you to all of you who responded after last week. As you know, I think I told you that Nigel is desperately trying to pinch our Wednesday lunchtime slot. Unfortunately, a survey has been done of GPs and they actually do want the Wednesday lunchtime slot. Um, so what we are looking at is we're going to continue for as long as we can. What we thought we might do, if you do definitely want weekly, maybe we'll do one on a Wednesday and one on a Thursday. And then possibly those PMs who have to do their more local one for their CCG on a Wednesday, maybe can join us every other week on a Thursday. So we're having a look at that. Um, Louise will and, and her team will let you have the proper dates when we, um, you know, when we've got it all sussed and everything. But um you know, we're happy to continue doing weekly. We might have to give in a little bit every other week on the day. Okay. We're resisting everybody. Um, that's lovely. Thank you very much, Carol. Thank you everybody for dialing in. Lovely to have your questions and we'll hopefully see you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice. <laughs>